You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. So on today's podcast, and as part of our performer series, I'm really excited. It's a little bit of a fan moment for me to welcome Anna O'Byrne to our podcast. And most of you may not be fully aware of the roles that Anna has encompassed, but you will most 100% likely to have seen her in action on stage. Welcome, Anna. Thanks for having me. And just before we get into a little bit of some of your roles and and how some spaces affect your performance, I wondered whether you could just talk a little bit about your childhood and and growing up. Oh, sure. Well, I grew up in Melbourne. I'm a really proud Melbourneian (laughs) with my mum and my dad and my older sister, Katie. And I had a really beautiful childhood. I had extremely supportive parents who sacrificed a lot for me and my sister to achieve our dreams, basically. So I sort of have a a bit of an idyllic childhood. I, you know, I went to some really wonderful schools that really nurtured parts of the arts, part of, of education, which really sort of jived with me and with what I wanted to do yeah it was a good childhood that come at an early age for you I mean were you someone that was dancing or singing when you were younger and yeah my my mum was a music teacher at that time so she uh, a classroom music teacher so music was always part of my life I really fell in love with the violin when I was very young and like begged my parents felt like a long time to me it probably wasn't it was probably only like six months or something but um begged my parents to let me learn violin so I started learning violin at um, about four years of age I think just wow. because well I, I was so in love with it so yeah music was always a big part of my life and I sang um with the Australian choir my mum worked for the Australian girls choir for quite a while so I sang with the Australian girls choir and you know did orchestra at school and choirs at school school musicals, all of that. So it was, yeah, it was a big, big, big part of my growing up, but it was definitely something that my sister and I really wanted to do. It wasn't sort of like we were like packed off to (laughs) class or anything, you know, we sort of really wanted to pursue that. And when you were sort of going through, I guess, that that high school experience where you've got all those opportunities, were you also getting like additional lessons in honing your craft or was that something that happened later? Yeah, I did. I I learned singing in my later years of of high school, I think because I had the choral background, you know, and uh, and I don't think my parents, as I said, you know, I don't think my parents really wanted to push me into anything or feel like I had to go and do this. This was sort of part of something that I had to do. So as I got older and started to be able to make some more decisions for myself, that was something that I decided that I wanted to do. I think when I was about 15, probably. Yeah. And I continued learning violin. There was a stage that came when the violin practice got, I was doing about five hours of practice per day. I would wake up two hours before school to practice and I'd come home from school and practice and, um, <laughs> another three hours and I it just got to the stage where I think that you know my love of singing sort of overtook that and the day-to-day grind of, of that much practice kind of k- killed a little bit of the love for me <laughs> sounds a bit dramatic but <laughs> I'm curious were there any kind of influences around the violin for you or was it just a purely I just 
loved the sound of it. And there's lots and actually I had a wonderful violin teacher through throughout my however many years it was, 12 years I think of, of learning violin. I had the same violin teacher and she always used to say that the violin is the closest instrument to the human voice despite the fact that it's not a wind instrument, you know, there's a, in the use of the bow, you know, that's kind of represents the breath. And also the, the range of the violin is kind of similar to the female soprano voice, which is the voice type that I am nowadays. So there was definitely some transference, I think. And it, I think there really came a point too, where I wanted to use words. Like I wanted to use my words <laughs> and I was like, I just don't think the violin can give me that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you're a little bit younger than me, but I remember at the time there was all of those kind of, you know, electric violins and there was lots of sort of... I was never cool enough for that. Like I was just not a cool child. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think... I mean, I think it's so glam, isn't it? It was definitely... Do you know what? Do you know what Riverdance was, you know, when I was probably about, you know seven or eight or something I think I think river dance sort of became a big thing and that was all about this sort of what was the combination of everything wasn't it's amazing dancing with the incredible music and arrangements and the instrumental aspect as well so I think there was probably that was that was you know potentially a bit of an influence but no I just I don't even I must have just heard it we grew up with with all kinds of music but you know a lot of classical music and I think I must have just heard the violin music and been like yeah I'm gonna do that Anna, so you you sort of get through school and then what do you decide then to do? I got through high school and my beloved older sister, I, I, I was very interested in perhaps going to a performing arts high school for a time there and my wonderful older sister, so we had lots and lots of discussions about it and, and she sort of said, oh, well, look, you know, we're at a great school for the performing arts. If you went there, are you going to have the, you know, experience of being able to mix with a big group of people and you know, can you sort of get it and and get a really amazing education at the same time? Um, you know, maybe a bit of a broader education. And so I did, you know, I decided to stay um, at the school that I was at. And then I, I got into an arts degree and then I went into gap year. Because <laughs> um, I didn't really know, like I did, it's not that I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I don't think I had the courage to pursue a career in the performing arts. I think I just was probably a little bit too pragmatic for that. <laughs> and sort of thought, oh, I don't quite know if I've got the guts to do that. So I went away and I worked at a school in the UK and just travelled and, you know, lived on a ridiculously small amount of money per week and just had the best time, you know, <laughs> in a rundown old house. It was just, it was really great. And about halfway through that year, I sort of went, yeah, I think I really do want to pursue music and classical voice. And I sent off an audition tape. It was a VHS, probably dating myself there, but it was no, a VHS. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Now we just like send off these auditions, you know, on your iPhone. It's so easy. But, but yeah, I got, I, you know, I, I recorded my audition for the Victorian College of the Arts classical um, voice program, you know, in the chapel at the school that I was working at and sent that off. And, and I, and I got in on the last place. Like there was a very, there was like two weeks where I didn't, where, where they were like, look, you're sort of our reserve. We think that we're going to have a place for you, but we're not sure. So I got in by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> you know, in that time, d- did it occur to you that you really wanted this? You know, like sometimes you can be really, oh yeah, maybe. And then suddenly when it looks like you can't have it, you realise how much you really want it. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to go to VCA. I applied for one. So silly. I look back and I go, why didn't you apply for more? But I knew I knew I wanted to go there. And um, and I remember I remember actually sending off that, like physically sending off my tape. 
and it felt like I just sent an arm back home. You know, it was about, I think, you know, about two, two and a half months before I was actually due to go home. And I just always said, I felt a bit like, oh, I've just, I've, I've sent part of me back to Australia now. And I think I need to go there and do that. And yeah. And I think the experience of, of being on, on my gap here was just so formative. I just recommend if you've got any if there are any 17 or 18 year olds or <laughs> listening to this podcast, take a gap year. <laughs> and I saw some amazing, I went to Vienna for two weeks and I went, I went and bought my two euro standing ticket every night and went like lined up every night to, to get a, a standing room ticket. And I went to the opera every night and saw a different opera. And it was just like, and you know, heard some amazing music and yeah, I was just like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm on board for, for doing this as a, trying to do it as a career. And I was going to ask that because you were in the UK. Did you were you at the West End a lot or anything in that aspect? Well? Yeah, I do. You know what? I did go on a few trips to London and saw a lot of West End shows. But I think it was my time in Vienna that was really kind of changed my perspective. I'd seen opera in Australia, but there was something about being in a centre like that, and you can't walk past. I was, I was staying like in this amazing location. <laughs> with a friend of a friend who happened to be a singing teacher. So like I was like saying in this little, you know, like annex kind of annex um, little studio apartment with them and I would hear these amazing singing lessons happen and then like I'd walk through. If you, you can't walk past a church without music coming out of it. It's in the blood of the city, you know, almost. So I think it was that. I think the music is so jaw-droppingly amazing and so many people at the very top of their game. So I think there was something about being part of a city that, just lives and breathes it that that made me feel like it was something I wanted to do. So you came back and you were accepted and then what was that time like while you were studying? It was like being kind of rebuilt from the ground up my whole perspective and perception of what what was opera and what was classical voice you know was sort of a little skewed I think going into that and Again, I had a wonderful teacher, a woman called Anna Connolly, who who ran the course. It was a very small intake of students, so it was very personalised. Like I just, it was, oh, I just feel like so lucky to have been, <laughs> you know, to have just got. Yep, it's that school, and but you know, the actual experience of it was just wonderful. And then I, I did an honours year on top of that, so I stayed there for four years, and it was just fantastic. A really fantastic group of people, really diverse ages. So there were, you know, there were seventeen year olds, and then there was like thirty five year olds, a whole range of people from different walks of life, which was, you know, a bit, maybe a bit unusual for a university environment, but really great because you didn't get away with anything, you know. <laughs> the older people were like, what are you doing if you did anything silly, you know, <laughs> like, come on. But yeah, it was, and being at the VCA as well, it's just a, a, a building, again, just full of music, hearing every, you know, everything, just practice room, pomp practice room. And you walk past a door and there's an orchestra rehearsing in there or, you know, you're doing some crazy like, you know, mixed media piece, you know, it's like a dancer and a, you know, percussionist and a painter or something, you know, all collaborating together. It's very, <laughs> very sort of fairy tale kind of environment for artists. <laughs> so you finish and then how does your career take on its next path after that? I got my first job two weeks after I graduated. It was really crazy and I'd, I was in a position where I'd been offered some chorus work with Opera Australia and then to work with the Opera Australia schools touring company so going around to schools and doing a you know beautiful modern opera for the students so I'd been offered those those two jobs and then I was doing a coaching with Michael Black who was the chorus master of uh, Opera Australia at the time 
and I'd sung musical theatre all throughout my schooling but when I was at at college at the VCA I stopped because it wasn't really helpful to my development at that point so I hadn't really sung any musical theatre for like four years and um, I did this coach you know I was coaching with him semi-regularly and just as we were packing up the room it was like 6 p.m on a Friday we were sort of packing up the room and I'd sung my Mozart and you know my Handel and whatever and then he said oh Anna do you sing any musical theatre and I was like what have you heard like (laughs) And sort of been trained to say, no, I don't. And I said, um, I, I have. And I was like, what do I say? And then I think I was like, yeah, um, I have. And he said, oh, great, because one of our one of our resident directors who works for us has written me an email saying they can't find a Christine for this production of The Phantom of the Opera that, that's that's touring around Australia, Christine Understudy. I think the audition's next week. Do you want to go in? And it was like on Monday the next week. It was like a really short turnaround time. So I was like, yeah, of course, I'll, you know, I'll, absolutely. So I went, you know, went in for my audition and and then I got the job and someone was leaving the the Christine understudy was leaving the company so they had to fill the job really quickly so it was like a turnaround of I think like a month and all of a sudden I was like on tour in the Phantom of the Opera like understudying Christine (laughs) over just the summer after I graduated it was it was one of those and and I was sort of like what do I tell Opera Australia it was one of those where it was like I literally saw the two paths diverging in the wood and I kind of had to pick and it felt like this massive decision as to you know where do I put all my eggs in this um, one basket of phantom um but I did and it was amazing I learned so much (laughs) role has really impacted your life and yeah maybe just explain and describe for everyone where it took you in the end it took me to the west end in London playing the role I've sung it at the Bolshoi Theatre, parts of the role at the Bolshoi Theatre. I did the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera, which is called Love Never Dies. I did um, the Australian production of that, which then Andrew decided to, decided to film. So Universal Pictures came and filmed it. <laughs> and it was released um, in cinemas around the world. How it is that experience? like going from being a theatrical performer to being filmed? Was that something you ever imagined doing? No. And it was very strange doing it for the first time in a stage show because it's still vast. We were in the Regent Theatre in Melbourne, which is huge. It's an old cinema. It's ginormous. And then sort of having to do this very intimate, it's a very intimate story, actually, you know, Love Never Dies. It's kind of a five-hander, really, with these amazing, you know, sets and costumes and voices around you. But, yeah, it was a complete baptism of fire. We did it right in the middle of our winter season in Melbourne. Like we were like in the trenches with the show performing. We went dark for three days and filmed it and then we did a final sort of filming in front of an audience at the end of the fourth day of these massive 12-hour days of shooting, singing live, singing an operatic score live. So it was it was a complete baptism of fire just learning on your feet like we didn't we couldn't see anything we couldn't kind of like watch anything back so it was just and it was crazy and then we just continued doing the show so and they went off and edited it and then you know six months later we came out with this filmed production which is glorious it is like objective it's like gasp inducing (laughs) how beautiful it is but yeah just little you know you you have to slow down your movements on camera you can't move quite as quickly as we would necessarily on stage the pacing of it is different I think you know there was sort of like subtle changes in staging that we had to do yeah yeah so it was straight you know we we had an amazing director actually who came in Brett Sullivan who came in to film it and who has done quite a lot of similar projects so he was really you know sort of our eyes and ears and 
very helpful in translating that production. Mm. And I guess if you were to look back with sort of taking on that role initially and not having much experience and then what did that teach you during that time, that baptism of fire? And that's such an interesting question. Again, when, when I joined the company of Phantom, again, it was, a, it was a really diverse company, lots of different age ranges mm-hmm. and people, there are ballet dancers and then there are proper opera singers and then there are like proper actors and, you know, so there's, everyone's really proper, you know. <laughs> so I just kind of played sponge really and tried to absorb as much as I could and probably ask some annoying questions to people but again had some very some real industry legends I suppose in our industry who've been around for a long time so yeah I just played sponge really and it's a it's a massive show it's a massive show and it's a really technical show and it's one of those ones where like if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time it could be very bad Um, (laughs) so I remember my first tech rehearsal just looking around like feeling like I feeling the danger and wonderful John O'May, who plays one of the managers, you know, one of the, the, the theatre managers in Phantom, turned to me and he said, I know how you feel. Never gets any easier. <laughs> but it was that beautiful moment where he was just like, I could obviously see that probably my face had <laughs> a stricken look on it. And, you know, just showed me a lot of kindness and just showed me that he was looking out for me, I suppose, which was really lovely. Was there any part, times during that time that you thought, oh, have I made the right decision? Is is this real? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. No, I, I never doubted for a minute that I'd made the right decision. I never thought, well, I never thought that I would be doing Phantom actually. I didn't know when I was at college, I, I really did decide to go into, I was like, okay, if you're going to do this, you, you should go into opera. This is, you know, eventually. So I never really thought that, that I'd be going back to musical theatre but it sort of came back to me in a really major way and I'm sort Phantom of really that, thrilled it did. Yeah, I mean, for our listeners, I mean, fandom is that little bit of a crossover between. Oh, the, a huge crossover, you know, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think lots of people as well, you say well, if you were to ask them what their favourite opera is, they would say The Phantom of the Opera. People just love it. Yeah. And it is, and Andrew just writes this music that sits, sounds like Puccini, it does sound operatic, you know. <laughs> And then like, but then the electric guitars come out, you know, <laughs> what a genius. <laughs> I think it's interesting because um, not just for this, I've worked in live production and, and musicals mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and I think you really, that sort of early 90, 90s, early 2000s, it was just such a creative mecca. He has melodies in his head all the time. <laughs> so if you're, yeah, like if you're out to dinner or whatever, he'll be like, he'll sort of do that at one point and you'll be like, oh, that's a melody in his head. He's going to have to write that down later. You know, like he's just, it just kind of comes out. He's a very, he doesn't really stop. And he's still, like he's still writing things. He's still, I think he had like four shows on Broadway recently. I mean, pre-shutdown. There were four Lloyd Webber shows on Broadway, possibly all from different decades. Like how crazy is that? (laughs) What did you take away from working with Andrew and, and being in that sort of circle? Oh, firstly, you're just like going pinch me. <laughs> firstly, you're just going, oh my gosh, how how lucky, how lucky are we to be here? It was really interesting when he came out for Love Never Dies because he came out twice. He came out for opening night and then he came out when we were filming and he was writing new bits of music when we were filming. He was very inspired by like what, yeah, he was, he, he wrote new bits of music both times he was there with our production. But when we were filming it, he sort of took me aside before I sang the big, the big title song, Love Never Dies, it's a big moment where she comes out and sings this amazing 
song. And um, he just took me aside and he told me exactly what he wanted it to express. And I was like, okay, <laughs> better do that then. Um, yeah, so there was some, you know, very, very particular things. But but in the same sense, it wasn't like he was kind of saying, I'll oh, sing this note in this way or, you know, it was, it's very much he would just let me do what I needed to do as a vocalist, but in terms of the emotional, I guess, what he needed it to say. And that's been my experience, that he knows what he wants it to be, but at the same time he just kind of trusts who he's put in place to, <laughs> to sing the role. Or Yes. Mm. And so that sort of after you, you sort of in the Phantom and Love Never Dies spectrum, that really then catapulted you back to the UK. Can you tell us a little mm. bit about that? Mm, yeah, well, after we finished Love Never Dies, I, I thought oh, I, I, I might like to go to New York or I might like to go to London. I'm not quite sure which one. So I, I just went to both. I just booked a plane ticket and just <laughs> went to both. Um, and I'd never been to New York. I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd obviously, you know, been in the UK and feel a great pull there. But I sort of thought, oh, look, I better, I better go. I better go to New York and see what it's about. So I just went and saw a whole bunch of shows and had a great old time and then came across to London and had some auditions and then got offered to play Christine on the West End and I sort of thought well that that cements it I'll I'll stay in in London for the time being and then just things kept happening it just felt like the place to be and then I was there for seven and a half years I think it was just a really (laughs) if having booked a plane ticket on a whim it just turned out to be not very whimmy in the end (laughs) carefully planned I have two questions for you one I'm really curious around well, theatre and opera and what you do is such an intense experience and doing it every single day of the week, normally get I think it's one day off, isn't it? Mm, yeah. What, when you're in those long-running productions, how much of a break do you need physically and mentally for them and are you okay in taking that break? It really depends. It depends on the role and whether it's kind of like a marathon role. Christine's like known as the marathon. It's just a very, yeah. yeah. For me, I think on a long running show, and Eliza's a marathon too, that's a long show. That was, that's three and a half hours. It's of just constant speaking. But I guess, yeah, so for me, it's about finding, finding out where they sit in terms of like, like how much energy you're giving out for this role. And then in rehearsals, kind of working out how to manage that, I guess. Mm-hmm. crafting a performance that I, I always want to like find where the edge is in rehearsals <laughs> sometimes the creative team will be like you can pull it back a bit and I'm like I just need to know where it is I will but I need if you don't let me go there I don't know where the edge is so finding out what happens with that and then for me I think in a long run it's about managing the kind of RSI elements of um, our <laughs> industry where we do the same thing every two times a day sometimes we stand in the same place we do the same arm movement or we sing the same phrase or whatever that might be and I think there's a that repetitiveness of it I guess finding ways to kind of combat that and at the same time deliver the same show Mm. so always the points at which I've sort of run into a place of like oh I don't feel great about this you know maybe a little bit into the run is when I'm just doing things the same way maybe I'm warming up the same way every night maybe I'm just relying on the same way to sing a phrase every night and so for me I think it's about finding ways to disrupt that a little bit so I always warm up differently you know I just kind of sing whatever I want to sing hopefully I've got a bit of energy through the day to kind of (laughs) keep powering up and some show schedules as well on Love Never Dies we used to do five shows in 48 hours over the weekend which was really intense oh wow 
that's an operatic score as well. So the downtime was, I just didn't used to, I, I didn't used to warm up. We'd get to our 1 p.m. Sunday show and I would not have to warm up because I was just warm from the night before. But we had two days off. So the first day, so like on a Monday, I would be just a complete zombie. I could have a big sleep in, I'd eat some food, I'd maybe go for a walk. That was it. And then on Tuesday, you can kind of get a bit of the, you can maybe go get your food for the week. I was, I was, I was a nun on that show. I didn't really <laughs> do a lot. But Eliza, I could. There was a little more scope. The ro- there's a lot of singing in that role, but it's not quite as high as Love Never Dies. So yeah, I think it's just about finding where the role sits for you and then negotiating. But some, you know, it's a really personal thing, and lots of people need to just not talk to anyone and not do any of those things. I think everyone hears those kind of rumors and you know it, it but but I think it is so interesting because you're experiencing the role for x amount of times but the the, the audience is maybe it's their first time maybe it's their 10th time but they still want to see that little bit of individuality. They have to you and, know what I mean and you can't you can't ignore that energy that that indiv- I find the same thing if I if I'm coming out and doing the same show every night that's not kind of respectful of that energy exchange or maybe the energy exchange that you have with your fellow actors as well and working out how to be attuned to that is 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 a constant work in progress I think and some roles I've found take away from you they require a lot from you mm-hmm. some roles can require a lot of you but they give you a lot back mm-hmm. like Eliza in My Fair Lady gave me gave me so much back no matter she demanded a lot but <laughs> she also gave back to me which is really strange when talking about an imaginary person but there you go <laughs> but she she's got such spunk and she's got such determination it was such an honor to play her every night and and she just gave me I don't know a fire in my belly every night it was it was really amazing <laughs> and how did that role come about I did an audition yeah same way lots of roles come about I yeah, so I'd, the rumor mill was going around that, that the show was coming, and my sister had played the role when we were at high school. So I never ever thought that was sort of mine for the taking. But my sister, which was like, "Are you crazy? You've got to go for this." She's a barrister now; she doesn't do. She's way too intelligent, I think, to do any of the prancing around on costume in costume on, on a stage. But but yeah, so I auditioned, and Dame Julie Andrews was directing, so every man and his dog was auditioning. But yeah, and then a couple of months was later, that, I got the role. Like- did that make it different for you or not, that it was Julie Andrews? Yeah, it did. I, I'd love to say it didn't, but, like, of course it did. Yeah. It's just Mary Poppins sitting in front of you, like. <laughs> and it was, and, and for me as well, because she played Eliza, so there was a very sort of special relationship, I think, that happened. And I think I went in to the first audition knowing that it might be strange for her, knowing that it might be, it was a recreation of this production that she'd done, so like 60 years ago. So that must be very, like down to the last sequence. It was, <laughs> do a double take, you know, I just think it that could have been out of the ordinary for her as well. And then I knew that I would have to, it, what, it wouldn't necessarily be an experience where I would have total carte blanche on the role mm-hmm. or be able to like, massively reinvented or I mean it's an amazing show you don't need to reinvent it but um you know but I just knew that I might be walking a bit of a line with that and then actually she's the most warm encouraging understanding funny so she is I mean was person. your experience sometimes you know when you meet your heroes they yeah. are having a bad day but was yeah. it 
not like that for you? Or? She just never has any bad days. She's oh. just amazing. <laughs> she, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's probably quite boring to say that, but yeah, but she, she just, she's incredible. Her work ethic is like next level, amazing. She's so, yeah, generosity is just the word that I would use to describe her. And uh, humble, I don't know if that's the, but she would, she's just constantly, my God, isn't this amazing? You know, she's just, <laughs> you know, a hard taskmaster as well. There was, it's not that she was just going, oh yes, that's wonderful. Go ahead and do that. You know, we, 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 we worked very, very hard on that. Yeah, but she was amazing. Like Yoda. <laughs> Julie Andrews is Yoda. I don't know if that's an image that we all need, but um. the female version, maybe. Yeah, and much, much more beautiful, you know. <laughs> and I'm, you know, um, I know. So this tour went all around Australia, and how long did it last for in the end? I think it's like two and a half years. Yeah, initially when I when I did my first audition, it was a four month season at the Sydney Opera House. And then I remember I sort of turned around three years later and went, I'm still doing this role. That's incredible. <laughs> like it's that that was going. Yeah. So yeah, we had a little bit of a break, I think, at, at one time and then came, you know, came back to do this, this big tour around Australia. So yeah, it was, it was a long, a long time with Eliza. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about what you're working on next, but I just, mm. before we do, I am curious around sort of how did, are the audiences different in Australia to to the UK and London. Yeah, 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 really, and different around Australia as well, like, you know, in London, particularly on a show like Phantom, I did a lot of shows in London, but, you know, particularly on the West End and for your big kind of productions, you you have a lot of people who maybe English isn't their first language who are, who are coming to see the show because you you go to the Tower of London and you see Big Ben and you watch Phantom, like that, how amazing. You know, so always the people that you meet at stage door, it's very interesting where they've come from. And maybe that's slightly, you know, not, not doesn't happen as often in Australia. So I think, you know, just being, I was always very aware of that, that maybe English wouldn't be a first language for people. I mean, it's, it's, we're lucky that we have music as a language, which is very common, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a common ground for people, I think. Somewhere like Queensland, maybe I always just get the, whenever I go and do a show at QPAC, it's like, you just get this wave of like, we've been waiting for you. Where have you been? Like, <laughs> we're so excited, you know, <laughs> that there's this real, yeah, hunger maybe to see to see shows up there because it's not a given that every show will tour up to Queensland, you know. And particularly on My Fair Lady, there's some, um, the audience would get really involved actually no matter where we were. But, you know, in Queensland there's a big sort of showdown between Higgins and Eliza with this great kind of intellectual stoush between them and insults and things. It was like a tennis match some nights. I was like, ooh, ah, like, you know, <laughs> literally, you know, almost applauding midpoint and, you know, so it was like that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, so there are definitely big differences. I think I think Melbourne is, you know, maybe sits back a little bit more, but then at the end maybe you'll get the big ovation at the end that right. they sort of they reserve the their enthusiasm until the until that last kind of moment where you get this big, you know, outpouring. So yeah, there's definitely differences, I think. I actually found that it. And I just if I could just ask you a little bit about theaters and and acoustics and and different places where you've performed. And I guess what would be some of your most memorable theatres that you've performed in 
I've done a lot of shows at the at the Regent in Melbourne, a lot, but two long running shows there, and it's a it's a big old barn of a place. People love going to the Regent because it's so glamorous and it's so old worldy, and you really feel like you go. There's a proper entrance hall and with stairs going up. It's you know just a stunning theatre, but it's a long house to play to. So, and I've done these two quite intimate shows in there where we have to really concentrate on bringing that the audience to us with probably varying degrees of success, you know. <laughs> There's probably only so much you can do as an actor. But I do love that house. There's something really expansive about it. There's something particularly kind of singing in a venue like that, you know. There's sort of a, a grandeur about that that makes you feel, yes, I can do this. I mean, just for our listeners, that's really having to project your voice, you know, I guess right Yeah. And I mean, we have microphones, we have very, very helpful microphones, but I think there's something about seeing the sort of like, you know, football field length of, (laughs) and going, oh, how am I going to fill this? And the trick is to not push, to find the resonance to to work smarter, not harder kind of thing to surmount that. I love the Merlin Theatre at the Malt House. It's, it's, you know, kind of smaller space but I've done two shows in there and I I really like that venue and and love that space and there's a couple of houses that I've worked in in the UK that are really really lovely the Theatre Royal in Newcastle is maybe my favorite there's beautiful Frank Matcham designed theatres in the UK that are just just they're made to do, you know, he just knew, he just knew. The, the way the materials used or the way that they've been designed. The way they've been, both, both. A beautiful Frank Matcham house is gorgeous, sort of stunning, but they sort of, they feel like a hug, you know. <laughs> Even if they're not round, they feel like they might be, you know, and just beautiful in terms of acoustic, perfect sort of audience size as well, you know, maybe like 1,500, just that 1,500, 1,700, you know, just just big enough, but, you know, everyone can sort of feel each other, the energy kind of comes at you. Yeah, he just knew what he was doing. <laughs> I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because not a lot of people, we hear about Broadway and I think we just because we think in the States everything's so much bigger, but the actual theatres are quite small compared yeah. to a lot of Australian theatres. And so I remember when I started working in live entertainment, it was like, oh, why can't something run for a year in Australia? And it's like, well, as a start, a lot of our theatres are sort of 2,500 and too big. And yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a really interesting dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, and interestingly as well, somewhere like the Regent, people think it's going to be so huge backstage. It's not. It's so small and it's underground. So it's a little bunker kind of space backstage. Um, so it's like you know, it's a great big op- opulent front to it because because they used to be cinemas, you know, the, the backstage space is very much a sort of an afterthought kind of tacked on and found somewhere, you know, in the bowels of <laughs> under an office block somewhere. To just ask you before we go into your the show that you're working on at the moment, what what do you, what do you think about when you think about Brick? We're talking now, I'm thinking about the spaces that I've performed in that that have have brick in them. I grew up in a weatherboard house, so I didn't I didn't have brick around me. But but I live in I live in a brick house now. Actually, I live in a '60s kind of <laughs> cool little '60s brick house. So so it's home now, I suppose. Yeah. 
Solid, solid, way more solid than weatherboard. I remember my dad painting, I think he's still painting weatherboards. I think that's a big part of his life. Just talking about what you're working on, and I guess I don't want to go too far into what we all felt during COVID, but I am curious as a as a performer, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to not be able to perform or work with people in the way that you, you normally do. Mm. You kind of cope with during COVID. Oh, thank, thanks for shining a spotlight, Elizabeth. It's really, it's nice to be able to talk about it and I think to be able to give a bit of an insight. It was really hard and I had just had a baby. So we had a very young baby when COVID hit. So we, I had sort of thought, oh, I'll have, I'll have, you know, sort of a big decision, I think, to have a, well, it was for me at least. We moved back from the UK and then my partner was on a show at the time and then we were sort of thinking, all right, well, when the baby's a little bit older, I'll sort of be able to, you know, dip my toe in again and see how this all feels and then COVID hit and everything shut down over a weekend you know my partner lost his job effectively we were meant to be touring for the next year and a half so we were <laughs> like where do we live yeah with a little a little bubba so I've always taught I'm, I'm a singing teacher as well I've taught since I left college and I really love it I'm from a family of teachers so I sort of thought right well I'll just I'll I'd, I'd sort of ramped or I was teaching a couple of you know students but I thought I'll just ramp all that back up again so that was very fortunate and I've always taught online as well so that's that was a big benefit too so <laughs> I wasn't sort of grappling with technology that was sort of I had a bit of a template for that which was good but yeah it was really challenging and I think I think the 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 loss of creativity as well it's very hard to create when where you know when when that cloud is is over the industry and you know uncertainty is is rife you know I've I've found it quite hard to think creatively and expansively during this time and I wonder if that's not an industry you know not just an us industry specific thing I wonder if it's sort of I think um, the industry, you know as you were saying I think it, it manifests so much of its creativity off others you know in a good way as you're even sort of saying Andrew Lloyd Webber's watching you know he's productions come to life and then now having another idea like, oh, that's what, what I meant to write yeah exactly yeah meant, you know yeah. and I that's that sort of void, which we still don't know what the outcome is going to be, really. But it is, and, and I, I think the other question I wanted to ask you was, we used to talk a lot about being stage fit. And, you know, I'm assuming um, that teaching doesn't get you to, to that level. Performers are such like, for me, almost like athletes in sort of what they do in terms of preparation. I just wondered whether you could share a couple of things that you've been doing mm. Your voice mm. at level, or well, actually, teaching is amazing vocally. So, like vocally, I'm in a great place because you're working it every day, and you're working with different voice types and you and different voices and different people's different way of learning makes you be more agile in your thinking. You have to find a way of explaining something, a, a, a principle that it, that makes sense to that particular student. So that's why I've 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 always loved teaching. I get a lot out of it. So that's actually kept me in really good shape vocally. But then like, you know, I'm sat down for <laughs> lots of the day. I have a little toddler now, so I do run around a lot after him. So that, but, but you know, I'm probably, I'm working on a show for next year and I'm just sort of, oh gosh, how do I, how do I scale this mountain again? How will this work? I've been doing a lot of writing for that. So that's mental exercise, I think, in, in its own way. And there have been the, there have been auditions that have come in and little sort of concerts and that sort of thing, which kind of keep 
keep things ticking over. And I think having a, a partner who's in the industry as well, you kind of have each other's back on your down days. You're like, no, nah, come on, we got to be ready for when it happens. <laughs> you take turns. <laughs> when you return, I mean, we're all coming out of this now going, we'll never take it for granted. Is that a very much a feeling or have, have your attitudes changed performing now? Um, it's tricky because they became parent. I became a mum, you know, around that same sort of time. So I think perspective shifts massively when that happens. And like we moved out into regional Victoria, you know, we just sort of did a couple of things that really changed what we'd been doing up to that point. Very sort of footloose and fancy free, and going where the work is. And now I think both me and my partner are a lot more discerning about what we're what we're going to take little bit more of you know your turn my turn you know things <laughs> there's ways of getting around that but you know it's just it's working as a team together to work out what's going to be the the, the best way and, and and best for our for our little boy as well yeah I'm creating a lot of my own work at the moment yeah so I've been writing this for since I was doing the show so like for five years now and it came about because everyone would say what is was it like to work with Julie Andrews bated breath and I'd sort of be like I can't tell you in 20 seconds I need a full like one act show to tell <laughs> and um wonderful Robin Nevin who's an amazing um uh, actor and theatre director was playing Mrs Higgins in the show and she is a became a mentor of mine on that on on that show and she turned to me midway through rehearsals and she said Anna are you writing this down and I sort of had been, but not in any, you know, um, structured way. And I said, oh, yes, Robin, I am. And your mental note, go to write everything, everything, you know. <laughs> so I did. I, I, I did. And then when I f finished, I, I took some time to to just kind of download all of the experiences that I'd had. And then I was chatting with a, with a producer in 2019 who's, who, who's, who said, what ideas have you got? Let's work together. And I said, oh, I do have this one idea. I don't know if it's a book. I don't know what it is. And he said, that one, I want to work on, I want to work on the Eliza one. <laughs> it's too good. So yeah, so it's, we're calling it a, a musical actor's diary, essentially, of this process using, using songs from Julie Andrews films and shows. Some wow. that she's sung and maybe some that, that were in the shows that she hasn't sung. So um, we're still creating, so maybe it'll be, <laughs> maybe it'll be something slightly different. And that's the pitch for it. And when is it anticipated when this will open now that things have got, we've got a bit more of a pathway or? Yeah, 2022 will, will be the, the date for it, but hopefully it'll have a bit of a, a longer life as well. So we're, we're just kind of logistically things are I think, more tricky than they've ever been and quite a tricky logistical industry anyway. But, but yeah, it looks like 2022 is our, is our year for that. We were meant, we were meant to have done a season in um, 2021, but didn't happen but anyway it's all got to be for a reason right well yeah and look we I can't wait to come and see you in that and I'm sure a lot of our audience would love to see it as well and it's just been such a delight speaking with you today and really for me understanding just as a, a performer your perspective on things and you've had just such a magnificent career to date mm -hmm. and um, it's really been lovely sort of hearing your experiences as well so thank you Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been wonderful. We're going to go through these, what do you call them, rapid fire questions, but reading the news, a newspaper or online? Newspaper. Handwriting or typing? Handwriting. I guess in terms of when you're preparing for roles and ideas around that and, and concepts, do you use like a pencil or a pen or an e-pencil? Pencil. pencil. <laughs> do you like to read books or listen to audio books? 
both, but definitely read books. I, I like to hold. I, I like. I love. Every, I love the smell. <laughs> yeah. What's important to you, style or substance? Substance. Coffee or tea? Coffee. TV shows or movies? Movies. Antique or brand new? Antique. Call or text? Oh, I'm dreadful at I'm dreadful at both. Truth be told, uh, call. Travel back in time or into the future? Back in time. Exterior or interior? Interior. Video games or board games? <laughs> My partner is a massive gamer, and I should be into it, but I'm just not. I just can't. I can't. Board games, yeah, board games. Form or function? Form. With relation, I guess, to performances, complex or simple? I'm cheating, but the bet you need simplicity. You can't you can't play complex. There might be complex p- principles in play, but you can't if you're playing complex, but it needs to be simple. Yeah. Simplicity. And uh, we will put all your details in the show notes, but where can people find you and, and in particular know about when becoming Eliza? Yeah, so you can head to becomingeliza.com and sign up for our mailing list. That would be wonderful if people wanted to do that. Then you'll be the first to know when the show is premiering and how if you're around Australia, you might be able to see it. And people can find me on Instagram, Anna O'Burn, on my website, anna-oburn.com. So thank you for being on our podcast today. Thanks for having me. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.